enjoyed our, our Black History Month. Uh, I learned a lot. Denora, thank you for your input. It was very good. And uh, it's been a good month. You know, it's been a good time to learn things. I think last Sunday morning went really well with our guest speaker. But uh, today, on the fourth Sunday, we normally have our, our unity message. Paul Mayo is going to come at this time and share. Paul, why don't you come? Uh, as, as Paul is coming, you give, him a, give him a hand. Uh, I wanted to share... I shared this at the early service that um, several years ago, probably 15 years ago or more, uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, where my mom is from, uh, my Uncle Joe, who is now deceased, but my Uncle Joe was involved in a church there. And uh, Memphis has a, a, a long history of, of uh, segregation. But the churches got together. They called it the Miracle of Memphis. And all the black churches and white churches got together. I don't know where they met, but they, they had a big meeting. And they decided that they would visit each other's churches for a, a month or so. And during that time, they had a foot washing. And it was a time of healing and reconciliation that I believe is still, there's still fruit of that 15, 20 years ago, you know, today. So praise the Lord. God is trying to get the churches together, trying to get the, the cultures together. We're all one in Christ. So this Black History Month is a part of that. Paul, why don't you come? And I know you have a lot to share, and you did good this morning by keeping it to the, a minimum. And thank the Lord we didn't have four. I know. We would have been. It, would, it wouldn't have worked. But uh, <laughs> it's a good word. Go thank for you. it. Good morning, church. Um, just thinking about God's love, it's, it's, it's overpowering. Um, because I think about what I'm doing now. Um, I never thought in my life I'd be in a white church talking about love. I was raised Baptist, but, you know, God puts you in places. In a Pentecostal church. He's amazing. Amen. Amen. Because this isn't the path that I wanted. All right? And that's all I got to say. Um, faith is a gift. It, it, it is, because some people don't, and you've run into those people, and you try to explain this faith, they have no idea. Now, with this faith, what do we do with it? Yes. Here is a, a, a letter, not a letter, but I also often think about giving this message and it's from my perspective, but I, what, I, what I'm dealing with and what, what I'm working with is a group of people that don't have my perspective. So I have a note from another Christian, and I'm going to share two characters from the Bible that we all know about, but just a different perspective. These are not my words. These are from a, a white parishioner. You know those pictures from Sunday school of the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus? They're just wrong. I'm a white American, descended from Europeans, there, and there is no one in the Bible that looks like me. Instead, the Bible is chock-full of stories about and from the perspective of people of color. While most of the heroes of scriptures are ethnically Jewish, there are a number of black and brown men and women who have outstanding impact. In this moment in time, with our country in deep pain around racism, I'm learning by following their example. In the wake of unnerving police brutality, the world is rightfully taking a good look in the mirror when it comes to race. One of the most important mirrors is the Bible. I dare to believe this ancient book, and I base my life and decisions upon its wisdom. There are many biblical voices that get plenty of amplification, looking at Abraham, Moses, and David. So it's important to turn the spotlight on a few unsung black heroes of the Bible. You can't tag them or follow them on Instagram, but their influence and example is real. First one is Simon of Serene. Um, Whenever I do this the second time, I learn from the first time. Simon, has anyone seen this movie before? I'm 61. 
During this time of year, there were two movies that I watched growing up. The Ten Commandments, and we still don't know the name of this one yet. What was the name of this? <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth. That's Sidney Portier. He is Simon of Serene. Serene is in Northern Africa, a Serenian. In the movies, a lot of times what we see are featured, people put their own perspective on it. And it affects a lot of people. Because when I saw Sidney Poitier in this movie, it's like, wow. Think about it. I grew up in the 60s and 50s. All I saw were white people on TV. And then you take the Bible, which I read on Sunday and went to Sunday school and talked about people from Africa. And then I see this movie, and it's actually portrayed that way. Now, the significance of Simon of Serene is that when he carried the cross, and he didn't want, it wasn't like he wanted to. A Roman soldier said, here, pick this up. That's what we're asked as Christians to do. Pick up the cross. This is a time when Jesus had help carrying the cross. And it was a black man. And it's featured. And God asked us to pick up and carry the cross. Now, where does he say that? Because as I think about this, why would I want to carry somebody else's cross? I have a cross to bear. To bear. I have a cross to bear. I have family. I have a lot of issues. Why do I want to worry about somebody else's issues? Because you're a Christian. It's that simple. In Galatians, Paul and the early church leaders say exactly the same thing. Carry each other's burdens, he writes. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. In America, it's easy for those who don't experience systemic racism to forget how prevalent it really is. It's easy for us to ignore what makes us uncomfortable or to choose our news sources based on what we want to hear and not what we need to hear. Simon sets a powerful example. I'm trying to follow. Even Christ accepted help carrying the cross. Our brothers and sisters of color have been carrying a heavy burden for hundreds of years. Now is the time for us to help shoulder it. Don't wait for the passing Roman soldier to prompt you into action. Don't wait. The next one, Zipporah. Uh, I mean, you've seen this movie, The Ten Commandments. Do you remember Zipporah? Okay. In the earlier service, um, I used to watch a lot of TV. And if you ever watched The Munsters, that's Lily Munster. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Never knew it until um, Bill told me. But she is from, because Moses, Charlton Heston, married a Cushite woman. Cush. It's in the northern part of Africa, around Serene. And the people from northern part of Africa look like me. But see what Hollywood did? And people believe that. And also, the reason they believe it is because in church, we don't talk about it. We don't. Because we choose to change the narrative. Because it makes us feel better. I cannot, if you're white, you can identify with that. But if I'm reading the Bible, and I read that she's from Cush, and I know Cush is in northern Africa, show me someone like that, it's like, who's telling the truth? That's a Cushite woman. That's Moses' wife. That's Moses' wife. Now, marriage in Zipporah. Let's hear for Moses' wife. Yea, that Moses, <laughs> the prince of Egypt, the deliverer of Israel, the man actually saw God's face, the face of God. He was married to an, a woman named Zipporah from ancient land of Cush. 
Moses had a lot of problems by marrying her. And it was with her family. And I just learned this from reading this. I know we know the story of Moses, how he set his people free. But like anything, there's a backstory, and it's right in the Bible. His family didn't, it's not approve. Yeah, accepted, they didn't approve. Nothing's changed. And because she was black. Now think about this. The head of the Israelites married to a black woman. That's amazing. But how many times have you heard people talk about this? Never. And here we are. Here I am. You know, at the beginning, you know, God's love. God's love makes me come up here and talk about this. Because like I said, I don't want to talk about this. Now, because of that, he met strife. And there was a point in in Moses' journey that God was going to kill him. Because he didn't follow the law. They had a son. And when you talk about what you do in the home, it's so important. Because you can't do something in your home and then do something else differently outside of there. On the way, after, God, after Moses had saved his people, he was supposed to perform circumcision on his son to be accepted. Moses didn't want to do it. Zipporah circumcised their son. God accepted Moses. Miriam and Aaron, Miriam? Oh, yes. Miriam and Aaron didn't accept Zipporah. Didn't. I know how that feels sometimes. Just based on who I am, the way I look. But glory be to God. Glory be to God. I do not, I'm learning to just not listen to those people. I, I really am. But, but, but within my family, I've learned that what Moses had to go through, he did amazing things through God. But there are people that still didn't believe and didn't accept who he was and who he was with. And for Christians like us, when you leave these, these walls, what do people see? What do they hear? And what do you hear and say, that's not right? Because as a Christian, we can't accept racism. We can't accept sexism. We can't accept those isms that divide us because God doesn't want us divided. He wants us together. Amen? Thank you. Thank you. I love you. I'll tell you, um, this whole Black History Month, I, I have a new phrase. The phrase is, information is power. And the more information we have, the more powerful we are. And I learned some things today about that. I, you know, I didn't know all those little details. But information is definitely power. And we need to use that power with the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in, in our culture. And so I believe that the church is a, is a change agent. And the Lord wants to use the church to make some good changes. So thank you, Paul. Very good uh, presentation today. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you all here. Good to see so many kids in church today. Wonderful. Thank you, Pamela, for helping out with the coloring or whatever, the little crafts and stuff. So uh, today, we, uh, we have a, I have a little bit of a challenge because I'm in a situation where uh, I was ready to, I don't know if you remember, but two weeks ago we were finishing up a sermon and I didn't finish. I didn't finish at the early service and I didn't finish at the second service and said, well, we'll finish in two weeks because last week we had a, a guest speaker. So I presented it this morning and guess what? I didn't finish that one either. So I have to finish this sermon at the same spot as that sermon so that next week, Lord willing, we can finish the whole shooting match. Maybe, maybe not. I'm just going to trust the Lord with it. Anyway, take your Bible, and uh, we are in 1 John chapter 4. And uh, 
we read these verses uh, two weeks ago, but I want to reread them and get into this. Uh, as you know, the topic has been agape, God's love. Uh, the first message uh, in the beginning of February was, where's the love? And the second message was God's love. I've entitled this, this message, Agape, True Love. So 1 John 4, uh, 19, 20, and 21. We love him because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Father, Lord God, thank you for your word. Your word is is a life changer. And may your Holy Spirit come now, anoint my lips and my words to bring forth the word of God for this congregation, for this time, the way you want. I pray, Lord, for every ear to hear, every eye to see what you have for us today. But I pray that your anointing be upon me. Lord, let me be a let me be a good messenger today, a good mailman today to deliver the good news of Jesus Christ. Anoint me and anoint this message for your glory. In Jesus' name, I pray. Hallelujah. So um, if you look at verse number 20, just real quickly, very, very direct, you know, very, very strong words. Um, you, you can't say that you love God and hate your brother. If you are, and this is the word of God, you're a liar. Can you believe the word of God says that you're a liar? If you, if you say you love God and hate your neighbor, you are a liar. And I thought about that, and I thought about it in the context of not only Black History Month, but, but the, the, the social unrest we've had, the issues we've had in our country, in our community, uh, with, with races, with cultures, with language groups, with age variations, with all different types of people that we associate with within the body of Christ. And there are some of us that, that come into our relationship with Christ with some predisposed or a predisposition to not like certain people. And so this really takes care of that. It, it addresses that issue. You can't come to Christ and receive his agape and then hate your brother. It doesn't work. It's like oil and water. It doesn't mix together. It cannot function that way. Something's got to change. So let's, let's start from the beginning of this, the word agape. Uh, my, my granddaughter asked me one day, she said, agape, she said, that sure is a funny word. You know, it looks funny and it sounds funny, A-G-A-P. And I said, well, that's because it's a Greek word. You know, it's not an English word, it's a Greek word. I said, you know, like we, we use the word love for many different things, like, like I love you and you love me, but we love ice cream. And it's, it's a different kind of love for each other than we have for ice cream. And so the word agape is a Greek word for, for love, but it separates the love, the type of love from the other types of love. It's very distinct. It's God's love for uh, humanity and for the church, but it's unconditional, immeasurable. You know, you can't, you can't really, you can't really describe it. It's all accepting. I mean, we just saying it's reckless in a sense. It, it doesn't matter what, who, who receives it. It just, it just encompasses us. And so God's agape is, is an unconditional, immeasurable love of God for the world and for his church, for the saved and unsaved. But it's also for the Christian, it's the love of Christians among themselves and for the world around them. So, um, we, so we've been talking about this. So we, we looked at John 13. In John 13, Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. The new commandment is that you love each other. You believers, you love each other. He already gave the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first thing. Love God first or love God back. And love your neighbor as yourself is the second greatest commandment. So you have, you know, have this thing where you love God, you love your neighbor. But now Jesus said, here's a new commandment. Love your brothers and sisters that have the same faith as you. So you have love, you know, love to God, love to the world, and love to the believer. And uh, it's very, very concise what, what Jesus says. And if you look at 1 John 4, 21, what John is saying is exactly what Jesus said. He said, we have this commandment uh, from, from him uh, that he who loves God must love his brother. So he's just reiterating what Jesus said. And John was there when Jesus said it the first time. 
So let's just go through this rather quickly. Verse 19, it says that we love him. We, uh, every, every type of love that we're talking about is agape love. It's not, it's not eros. It's not filio. It's not storhe love. It's, it's, it's this unconditional love. So he says, we agape God because he agape us first. We love God back. Remember, he made the first move. While we were still sinners, the word says, Christ died for us. While we were lost in our sin, God made a way for us to get out of the sin. That's how unconditional love is. It doesn't matter what we've done, where we've been, or who we are, what color we are, what race, what culture, what time frame we grew up in. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we recognize that agape and receive that agape. And so we love him back because he first loved us. I wonder how many of you here or at home can remember when you were a child having little moments of like awareness of God in your life. I have, I've had many moments like that when I think back on it. I mean, I didn't really know God, but I knew of God. I knew God existed. But there was something in my heart that wanted what God had for me. And, and, and yeah, God's love was always chasing us, always running after us until we finally yield and receive his love. But we love him back because he first loved us. And verse 20, uh, just uh, so powerful, so powerful. We can't say that we love God and, and, uh, and hate our brother. Um, you know, I, I've been posting some things on Facebook this past week, and some people have commented, boy, Pastor Rick, it's so, what you're saying is so strong. I, I put a post about liars the other day. And I thought about, why am I doing that? And you know what? I came to this point where I realized, listen to this, church. I'm going to be 70 in April. This is it. I'm going to let it fly right now. This is the word of God. If the word of God says that they're a liar, I can say someone's a liar. I want to be sensitive, but I want to be true to the word of God. I want to just proclaim the word of God. So I'll get into more of that later. But anyway, um, so anyway, so you can't have both. You can't say you love God and hate your brother. That doesn't work. It just doesn't work that way. Verse 21, uh, this commandment we have from God, John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus said it, you know. Jesus said it. Uh, love your, the, your love among yourselves will be a witness to those on the outside that you're my disciples. And that's why uh, really reiterating uh, Psalm 133, behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. You know, it's like the oil uh, on Aaron's head, running down on his beard. It's like the dew on the mountains where there's oil, there's Holy Spirit, there's life forevermore in that unity, in that love of the brethren. And so, so here we are, you know, talking about this love. And I, I must say that this has been uh, a learning experience for me to get into this topic the way we've gotten into it. Um, so two weeks ago, we ended this with, uh, I hope you remember, with uh, the, the, the part of it that was a reality check. I don't know if you remember that, but the reality check was, how are we doing with this agape business? I mean, most of us could say, well, we love God. I, I love God back. It, it, that's not the problem. The problem is loving each other. It might even be easier to love the lost in a, in a way. Sometimes loving our brothers and sisters can be a real challenge. <laughs> But, uh, but look at verse number 12. The three things that were the reality check. Verse number 1 John 4, 12. Uh, no one has seen God, but the question was, do people in the church see Jesus in you? Forget about those on the outside right now. Do those on the inside see Jesus in you? And the second one was uh, verses 13, 14, and 16. John saying, we know uh, we've seen, we testify, uh, we know, we believe. And the question was, do you, do you know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord? You know? And, and so, um, now, now, you know, when we have visitors uh, at the church, we, we collect visitor cards. You all know that, right? We, we get the email addresses, we put them on an email list, and we send them emails. And we do that until they tell us not to send them anymore, and sometimes that happens. But there was one time about, probably about seven years ago, I think, uh, a gentleman didn't come to church. I met him on a Friday evening. He was a friend of uh, somebody that came here. He lives way up in New Hampshire. Nobody would know him if I told you his name. But he's been on the email list for like seven years. I never heard from him at all. Never heard from him. 
Well, I heard from them this week. Because I always send out those, those prayer requests, you know. Pray for this one, pray for that one. He would always get them. Never heard from them. He writes me this week and he says, Stop. Jesus is fake. If Jesus was real, I wouldn't be going through all the trouble I'm going through. And that was his email. So I wrote him back. I said, sorry to hear your troubles. If you want to meet, here's my cell number. Give me a call. But here's a guy that doesn't know the love of God. He doesn't know the agape of God. I want to do my best to introduce him to the agape of God. Because if he had the agape of God, he wouldn't be questioning God. He would know who, who he was in Christ. In, in 1 John 5, 13, I keep going over to there. But John wrote these things that you will know that you have eternal life and that you, that you can continue to believe. And, and yet we have the Holy Spirit witness within us, but we have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit to help us to continue. And when we don't have that going on, guess what? We lose faith. And this, this dear person didn't know, he did not know that God, Jesus was real and that Jesus loved him. He drifted away. I don't know if he ever had it in the first place, but he drifted from a position of at least accepting to now questioning Jesus isn't even real. And I, I can't let that sit. I've got to do something to help him understand. So do you know that you know? I mean, when, when your life is falling apart, this is what I'm getting at, when things are going bad, and you're wondering, what in the world am I going to do? Do you still know that God loves you? You should. I should. Sometimes it's a, it's a challenge. Well, David would say sometimes, you know, I lift my eyes to the hills. Lord, where are you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my help comes from the God who made those hills. Yeah, so we come to a revelation like, yeah, God, you are here. But this is the reality check. Do you know that you know? And then verse 17, 1 John four seventeen. just to paraphrase it, are you ready for the rapture? Is the love of God, you know, compelling you to, to, to run after him, to, to live for him? Because one day he's going to come. One day he will come. And is the love of God keeping you in his good graces? Your love back to him, is it keeping you? This is why we say it's a relationship. It's a two-way relationship. God loves us, we love him back. We love him when he's quiet. And we love him when he's loud. He loves us when we're quiet. <laughs> he loves us when we neglect him. But he, he loves us when we love him, you know, strongly. But he loves us regardless. And I always think that, you know, two weeks ago we ended the message on chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3, where if we have this hope in us that Jesus is coming back, if we have this hope in us, we purify ourselves. So the agape of God is a purifying force of God. Like he loves us, he accepts us, but it's like when, when your, your parent or a loved one just loves you after you've done something terribly wrong and you receive that love and you realize, man, they love me, they accept me. But in that moment, you, you realize, I'm going to try my best not to disappoint them again. The agape love keeps us purified before the Lord. So that's how we ended uh, two weeks ago. We ended with, with that reality check. And uh, today, I, I want to I go a little bit deeper and finish up that original message. And uh, so there's three areas I want to talk about. I want to talk about God's agape working through the church. And I have three examples to talk about. And um, uh, we'll see where we go after this. But, but I, so, so everyone with me? God's agape. He loves us. We now love him back. And now we're called to love each other, Right? So the first area, when God's agape is working through us, working through the church, a couple of things happen. The first thing that I see is that agape changes hardened hearts. Agape changes hardened hearts through the church. And I want to take you to the story of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Everyone knows Stephen? Stephen was the first martyr. He was raised up to be a servant uh, a, a waiter of the tables in Acts 6. And uh, in Acts chapter 7, we, we read that he was brought before the, the, uh, the Jewish council. He was being criticized, maligned, questioned. Uh, they hated Stephen because he took a position for Jesus. 
And so all of chapter 7, he's defending his faith, preaching to these guys, and uh, he's just being a, a tremendous witness for the Lord. And we see in verse number 55, Acts 7, 55, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth, like, I want to kill this guy. That's how, that's how it was. They didn't receive what he said. They wanted to kill him, and they did kill him. But I want you to see the agape working through Stephen. It says in verse 55, I'm just going to read a little bit. He, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, that's crucial, by the way, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, um, he gazed into heaven. So they're gnashing their teeth at him. He's gazing into heaven, uh, and he sees the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, look, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears. They ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. Can you think about being stoned for a minute? I don't even like to think about it, but sometimes I, I force myself to think about it. Think about a person standing in a, in a field all by himself and surrounded by people, maybe 20, 30 feet, not, not far away, and they all have rocks. And they pick up a rock and they throw it at the guy. Now, one rock's probably not going to kill him. Maybe it could if it hit him in the right spot or hard enough, but pr- probably unlikely. So he's got to take numerous shots to the head, to the body, to the face until he's dead. It's a gruesome, gruesome death. So he's, he's being stoned. And verse 59 says, they stoned, him, they stoned him as he's calling out and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Boom, boom. Lord Jesus, receive. Boom, boom, boom. Then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice. So kneeling down, he may have been forced to kneel down under the power of the blow of the rock. He's he's down, and now he's down. He's he's down and ready to go down and out. And he says, look, look what he says. He cries out with a loud voice. He wants everyone to hear. Lord, don't charge them with their sin. When he had said this, he fell asleep. I'm just seeing in Stephen the agape of God in full measure. God loved him. He loved God back. In the midst of his uh, pain and struggle, he was able to call out upon God and not condemn those that were condemning him. Not to raise his voice, not to tell him to stop, not to uh, reject his faith. He had such a tight relationship with God The agape of God allowed him to go through that unscathed. Now, in that, if you look at verse number 58, in that setting, there's a young man named Saul that's watching the whole thing go down. People who are throwing the stones and witnessing this murder are throwing their clothes at at Paul's feet or Saul's feet. He's witnessing the whole thing. It says in chapter 8, verse 1, he was consenting to Stephen's death. Saul was a mean man. He was a hard-hardened, hard-hearted person. He hated Christian people. He thought that they were defiling the, the truth of the Old Testament. And so he was consenting to his death. Just one chapter later, as Paul is now on his way to Damascus to guess what? To round up more Christians, to throw them in jail or to kill them. He's intercepted by Jesus. And he falls to the ground. And Jesus doesn't even condemn Paul. You ever notice? Jesus never condemned Paul. He he said to, to Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? As though, Paul, what are you doing? And Paul says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, who you're persecuting. When you're persecuting the Christian, you're persecuting me. And right there, I can't prove this. I can't help but think that Paul was thinking about Stephen, thinking about the early church that allowed that death to happen with such grace and mercy towards the tormentors. And he realized as he was hurting Christians, he was hurting Jesus Christ. 
Right in that moment, the, the testimony of the church and of Stephen, I believe, the agape that he, that Paul experienced was now being poured out on him and he put it all together. And that testimony of the church helped Paul to change his heart, to soften his heart and to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. This is what I'm talking about. The testimony of each of us, of the church. It will change a hardened heart, a hard hearted person. When they see your life and my life filled with the agape of God, they will melt when they see how we live, how we respond, how we, how we do things under duress. So back to 1 John 4, 12, no one has seen God ever, but do people see God in you? Do people see Jesus in you? This is the, this is the question. So the first thing is agape changes hardened hearts. How many times have we seen in the church people with hard hearts coming in here? We see it all the time. I, I, see, I see a lot of people with hard hearts. I like to think of the phrase, the, 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 uh, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Sometimes the harder they are, the deeper they fall in love with Jesus because they know they're not right. But see, they come into a church or they come into a, a relationship with one of us. They don't want to know a, a lot of doctrine. They want to know that God could help them. And they will see that through our lives and through our experiences. And as we share our life with them, as, we, as they see how we live, it will soften their hard heart. Amen. Soften a hard heart. Uh, I met with our brother Jesus uh, Ruiz two weeks ago. He was telling me this story that he said, Pastor Rick, I, I, I'm ministering with another gang member that got saved. I said, that's great, Jesus. You know, good. He says, no, no, you don't understand. I'm from the Latin Kings. He's from some other gang. We hate each other. We would, we would see each other on the street. We would hate each other for years. Now, he became a Christian. I'm a Christian. And guess what? Now we're ministering for Jesus Christ together. You talk about a hardened heart being softened. And I know, Norberto, you were involved with Jesus' life and salvation. He was watching people. Jesus, he's still watching people. People are watching us. I'm telling you, people are watching us. They want to know we've got the real thing. And I, listen, when agape is flowing... He loves us. We love him back. And our lives are changed. And, man, people, people want that. Absolutely. I mean, I can relate to that. My friend Lenny, who led me to the Lord many years ago. I knew Lenny before. I knew how he was. He was, we were, uh, but I knew he was changed. Whatever happened to him, I wanted. And when he told me stuff, I listened. I didn't read the Bible that night. I, I read him. <laughs> I read him. And I saw his life. I said, man, this isn't the same Lenny I knew a couple of years ago. What happened? Jesus happened. His hardened heart was softened. He got the agape. He gave the agape to me. Let me show you another thing here. The second, second area where agape, uh, agape working through the church. And I want to say this, and I, I want to say this with all sincerity, while I can say it. What I mean is, with the Equity Act going on, I don't know what's going to come down the pike with what we're allowed to say. Or not. But I'm going to say it now while I have the chance to say, but go, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is agape in, in action. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. I love this passage. I've loved it for a long time. I'll love it till I meet Jesus face to face and say, Thank you, Lord. But 1 Corinthians 6, in verse number 9, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, yeah, you know, most people know that. That's why most people try to be good. The problem is they try to be good on their own accord, in their own way, uh, but we can never be good enough. So God's goodness, that's where the agape comes in. He paid the price for us. But anyway, um, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And and he says, don't be deceived. Then then he gets very specific. And this is what I mean about, about where I am in my life. Uh, you know, I've been, we're, we've been in ministry, what, 35 years, I think, something like that. Long time, long time. I've preached so many messages. I, I have. Thank God. I, and I thank the Lord for the opportunity. I guess at this point, I'm looking at 70 right around the corner. I'm just going to let it fly. 
You know what I mean? Look what he says. This is the word of God. So, so is, is the law going to tell me I can't say this? Maybe. Well, that's, that's You have to. You have to say it. because. And then, then, I, then I'm thinking, should I post this on Facebook? If I post this on Facebook, I'll get hate mail. Sure enough, people will hate me if I say these things. But what he says is, look, don't, don't you know? Don't be deceived. Fornicators, in other words, people who have sex before they're married, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's like 80, 90% of the world right now. And probably 50% of the church. That's what the board says. I just want to talk about the agape, so stay with me. Nor, nor idolaters, idol worship, you know, idol worshipers. What are you worshiping? Yourself, your money, your, your stuff, whatever. And then adulterers having sex outside of marriage or with a married person. And then it's very specific. Homosexuals, masculine homosexuals, or effeminate homosexuals. This is the word of God. Are we not going to say it? I said it. I said the word of God. That's what it means. It says homosexuals are sodomites. If you look up the meaning, it's a masculine or a feminine homosexual. All right. So none of those people will inherit the kingdom of God, right? So now, now we know. Okay, so now what do we do? The next verse is music to our ears. This is, for the, this is in the church of Corinth. Such were some of you. You all were like that. You all come out of that. But you were washed, you were sanctified and justified in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And you've been redeemed and set free and delivered. And this is agape work. And you can't tell me that those people that were in the church were not reaching out to those that were still in their sin. And when those still in their sin saw that, they wanted what they had. And the agape is flowing and changing lives. And it's good, and it's powerful, and it's good, it's, it's healthy. It's the way God wants it to be. So now I, when I think about this, um, Jesus, you know, one time the apostles were talking to Jesus. And Jesus said, you know what, it's harder for a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And they said, well, who then can be saved? And he said, with men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So anyone who is steeped in a lifestyle or a sin or an issue or a problem can be delivered and set free of that. I believe it with all my heart. Otherwise, I wouldn't be up here preaching it. Such were some of you, but you were washed. What does that mean? If you're washed, it means you were dirty. You were washed. You were sanctified and justified, set apart, cleansed. And set free by the name of Jesus. That's why we sang the name of Jesus earlier. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. That's agape working. And I, I would say, I have to do research on it. I would say that the Corinthians knew there was a church going on. And all these people that used to do that weren't doing that anymore. They were living for God in a holy life. And they were happy and filled with the Spirit of God. They were, a, they were attractive to these people that were not there yet. And they, they, were, they, were, they kind of pulled them in to the fold by their example. That's agape in action. It's agape at work. So agape in the church changes lifestyles. And the third area is this. Um, I, 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 agape working in the church changes destinies. I don't know about you. When I accepted the Lord many years ago, I had no clue how it was going to affect my destiny. It has absolutely 100% changed my whole life. Absolutely, no doubt about it. Sometimes I think my family's still scratching their heads saying, what happened to him? But it changed my life. It changed who I, who I was and who I am and who I became. I changed my friend Lenny's life for sure. And you know what? At the time, I wanted that change because I was sick of me. But it changed, this changed my destiny. This changed how I thought, how I lived, how I raised my kids, how I loved my wife. Forget about the church for a minute. This changed how I processed life, how I dealt with my crazy neighbors and that sort of thing. You know, it affected me. It changed me. 
Then, then he called me, and that's a whole other story, but my destiny was absolutely changed by my relationship with God because his agape came to me, and I received it. And I love him back. I do. I love God. I love him back. But I want to just, I'll tell you the story in Acts chapter 10 that uh, Peter, I want to talk about Peter and Cornelius. Their destinies were changed. Absolutely. Here's the story in a nutshell. Cornelius is a Roman centurion, has a heart for God, doesn't know God, but he's praying to God. He's giving money to the poor and trying to do good things. But he's asking God for a sign or for help or something to help him along the way. So, so Cornelius has a dream, and God gives him a dream. In the dream, uh, an angel says to Cornelius, go to Joppa and find somebody by the name of Simon Peter. He'll tell you what to do. Isn't that a great dream? I wish I had a dream like that. You know, just give me some specifics. You know, go to, go to this city, look for this guy. Oh, I could do that, you know. So Simon, you know, uh, I mean, Cornelius, a man of means, you know, uh, centurion in the army, uh, sends his men up to Joppa to look for Simon Peter. In the meantime, Simon Peter has a dream. And to make that long story short, his dream was the gospel that you preach is not for the Jew only, it's for the Gentile, which was phenomenal to think about because at that time, the two never met. <laughs> the two never met. Talk about separation. So he's waking up from his dream, and he hears a knock on the door, and here's Cornelius' men saying, we're looking for Simon Peter because uh, um, Cornelius said that you would have something to say to him, so come down here and tell him what you need to tell him. And Paul's no dummy. He put two, I mean, Peter's no dummy. He put, put two and two together. I know exactly what I have to tell him, that this gospel is not for the Jew only. It's for the Gentiles, and he was a Gentile. But for him to get to that point was a major undertaking. He was steeped in Judaism. He didn't like Gentiles. He couldn't go to their homes, couldn't eat their food, couldn't get into their culture. They were heathen people. And now he's a Jew who became a Christian, and the Lord says, no, you've got to let all that go. And right there, his destiny changed. I mean, his, his destiny was changing all along, but right there was a turning point. He was no longer limited to working with Jewish people. Now he enters the home of Cornelius. He presents the gospel, and they feed him and all this other stuff. And could you picture Peter? I could just picture him in all his Judaism in the home of a Gentile, thinking to himself, what am I, how did I end up here? You know? But that's God changes destinies. I'm telling you, he changes destinies. You know, last, a couple of weeks ago, I, I, got a, I had a message on the, on the answering machine in the office. And uh, I'm here, I, I listened to it. Um, this guy calls. He goes, hey, I'm calling for Rick Amendola. I, I, I used to be in prison when you worked there in North Carolina. And uh, you taught a guitar class after hours, and I was your helper. And I just, I said, he said, I never forgot you, or I always think about you. I just wanted to call to connect. So he said, so give me a call back. He said, give me a holler. He hangs up the phone. Can I tell you something? My heart, I cried. I told my mother that story. I cried when I told her. I thought, this guy remembers me from 42 years ago. He cared enough to look me up and find my office phone number and to leave me a nice message. How does that happen? You know, God has changed my destiny and changed your destiny. I've got to call him back, by the way. I haven't had time to do that. I'll let you know what happens. But I, I think I remember who it is. I think I do. But I'm, I'm just saying, the way we can touch people's life. What am I, first of all, what am I doing in a prison? Second of all, what am I doing teaching guitar in a prison with, I always put a Christian emphasis on the guitar lessons, teaching them Christian songs. And this guy remembers? Oh, my goodness. So Peter's destiny was changed. Sometimes I find myself you know, at someone's house or in some predicament. And I think, Lord, how do I get in this situation? I never thought I would be doing this. Well, <laughs> he changed my destiny. I have to tell you the truth. 
you know, we haven't had hill stock last year. Not sure what's happening this year, but all those hill stocks we had, so many times I'd ask the Lord, Lord, what, how do I, I'm, we're doing this? I don't know how to do this. But he puts us in places, in situations that we would normally never even think about getting into. He changes our destiny. And not only was Peter's destiny changed, here's a Jewish man in the home of a Gentile, but think about Cornelius, the dear soul. What's he doing entertaining a Jewish man who's now a Christian? Now Cornelius, who was a heathen person, is now calling upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the name of Jesus Christ, and he was a heathen before. His destiny was absolutely changed. And as, as Peter's preaching to them, teaching them, the Holy Spirit falls upon Cornelius and his household. They all start speaking in tongues. <laughs> and then they're baptized in water. His destiny is totally changed. Totally changed. So do I believe in a radical salvation? Yeah, you better believe it. I believe in a radical, life-changing salvation. I see it in the Word of God. I see it in my own life. I see it in everybody's life, actually. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sometimes we hear these testimonies from the guys from Teen Challenge. The testimonies are amazing. Wayne, you guys have a great testimony. So some of our students from North Point, their testimonies are fantastic. How their destinies are changed. And your testimony is powerful. And so there's, there's God's agape on us. Little did I know, when I received Jesus way back in Reedsville, North Carolina, in 1977 in my friend's trailer at night with my girlfriend, little did I know that that agape was going to wreck my life and change my life and fix my life all at the same time. He wrecked me but fixed me. You know what I mean? Everything was different. So now the agape is flowing in the church, and it's wonderful and it's good. But I, I have to tell you something, and I, I'm not going to tell it now, but I'll wait till next week, Lord willing, that with this agape, as wonderful as it is, it's wonderful, and we live in the agape, there's another side to God's character, which is called him being just. So you have the mushy love, and you have the character of God that never changes, and he has standards. And what happens in a church when the love is flowing, but somebody rebels? Someone doesn't want to hear it anymore. And someone causes division or dissension in the church. What do you do then? When you hear what, what God did in the New Testament, you'll be amazed how God handled those situations through agape. God, agape isn't always mushy. You ever hear the phrase, tough love? It's very real. And God, guess what? Sometimes God has really tough love. But it's all for the greater good. So, Lord willing, we'll get into that part of the message next week. Amen? Let's stand together. Uh, those of you at home, glad you've been listening and paying attention. And tune in next week for the conclusion, if you can. But um, let's just have every head bowed for a moment. I want to ask you a few questions. Because unfortunately, many times people have gotten hurt in churches. That brotherly love is, or that, that love among the, the saints is not, it's not agape, it's something else. And so sometimes there's hurts or pain. And so that results in the person being gun shy and not wanting to go forward to extend that love to other people because they're afraid to get involved. <sighs> so without anyone looking, I just want to, you could raise your hand if you'd like. First of all, does anyone need the agape of God? Does anyone need the love of God? You know, you just want, you just, you, you realize, man, I, I'm done. I can't do this. I, I have nothing to give. I, I need something. I need God's love. So, you know, we're going to pray for that. I wonder if there's anyone here that feels like, you know, we've read that scripture, 1 John four nineteen. We love him because he first loved us. But sometimes we say, it doesn't seem like God loves me so much because look at the mess I'm in. 
David often questioned God. But he came around. I wonder if anyone ever feels like, I, I just want, I want to love God back. I need help with that. I need help loving God back. I need faith. And then I wonder if there's some here that have been hurt by churches. They've been hurt. They've, they've been uh, maligned, gossiped about, or in some way slandered. And they're, they're having a hard time loving God and loving the church because church wasn't all it was cranked up to be in their, in their heart. Well, certainly the Lord wants to heal that, fix that. So I'm going to pray. Dear Father, Lord, we come before you today and we're thankful for your agape to us. We get it, we receive it, we want it. We need it, we, we thrive on it, Lord. We, we depend on your, your unconditional, immeasurable love for us. And Lord, we pray that we would continue to love the lost and do our part to bring the gospel to the nations through our missions and to love people outside of the church, to love them into the church. But Lord, we pray in the church we would sense agape among the brothers and sisters. And that's where it gets hard, Lord. But you said you gave us a new commandment. And so we want to do the great commandment, the second greatest commandment, But we want to do the new commandment. We want to love one another so that others will know that we're your disciples by our love for one another, our agape towards one another. So, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that these messages will somehow spur us on and stir us up to exercise our love for you and our love for one another. Lord, I don't know how we could love on the outside if we can't love on the inside. I don't know how that would work. And so we pray, Lord, that our love would begin with you and with one another. And Lord, as we we conclude Black History Month, okay, so let this extend beyond the races of people, the cultures of people, uh, the language groups of people, the lifestyles of people, or or, uh, the age groups of people, or the social status of people. Let us just have agape for everybody, and let let us thrive in that. Let your church thrive in that. And Lord, I pray that uh, during this week that we would contemplate the things that we share today, how when agape flows through the church, hard hearts are changed. Lifestyles are changed. Destinies are changed. Hallelujah. Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to remember that and to live in that. And Lord, I pray that uh, next Sunday, if you're willing, that you would help, help us to conclude this message with the other side of that agape, which is your justice. And how do we deal with that when, it's, when it happens in the church? We need your help and your guidance. But thank you that your help and guidance is available for us. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this uh, time today, uh, wonderful time of worship and hearing the word and, and praying together. Lord, thank you for your presence. May your blessing be upon each one as we go our way. On those at home, Lord, may your blessing be there. May we have a good week and a safe week, a productive week. Keep us free of the COVID crisis. Let us be a great witness for you as we move forward. So we thank you. We praise you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.